just when I think you've said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. Beat it, you hippie! Seven years of college down the drain. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for another episode. Today I've got stories about college decisions and life choices. Yeah, we should be able to cover that in about 20 minutes, right? Well, I got to think, and I'm recording this episode of the podcast right at the end of my vacation, and uh, as summer is winding down and school starts up and the memories of going back to school and going away to college are starting to brew in the back of my head, and I said, you know, this would be a good time to share some of those stories about the choices that I had to make. Now, I know not everybody goes to college and not everybody wants to go to college. My path was determined when I was young. My parents were sending me to college. That was it. I was going to college. We had this debate when I was going to high school. You're going to college. My mom was adamant. You're going to college. You're going to get an education. And when I would really want to piss her off, I would say, I'm going to become a mailman. I'm going to work at the gas station. I'm going to pick apples. Whatever I could come up with that would annoy her, that would be my go-to retort to any fight we were having. You're going to college. I'm going to sweep floors. She got so mad at me when I would say that stuff. But I knew I was going to college. And the choices that I made for college were kind of my choices, but kind of my parents' choices too. It was really kind of predestined. They wanted me to go to college. They both went to college. And they wanted all the kids to go to college. So we had a path laid out for us. Now, we were free to choose once we got there what we wanted to do, and we were free to choose mostly where we were to go. But I look back and I realize I was kind of guided to where I wound up. Like when I was looking for schools, one of the first schools that I looked at was the College of the Virgin Islands. Oh my goodness, the U.S. Virgin Islands had its own college? I was all set to go. Wait, semesters at the beach? I could live for the rest of my life in the Virgin Islands. No, I was not allowed to do that. That was not allowed to be one of my choices. I really wanted it to be. But mom and dad said, no, you're not going to the College of the Virgin Islands. I also thought of Texas. That's a state I still haven't been to, and it's a state that I've always wanted to go to. And so I was looking at universities in Texas. And my mom always said, oh, Texas, it's so far. It's just too far away. I'm not sure you'll be happy in Texas. Whether or not I would have been, I will never know because I applied and was accepted at the University of Texas at Arlington, but it was too far. So mom and dad kind of vetoed that without saying, you're not going there. But it was made clear to me that Texas also was not really on my list of options. I also applied to and was accepted by the University of Tampa in Florida. Again, beaches, sun, fun. Yeah, my parents weren't really big on me going to the beach for college. Yes, I know you don't go to the beach, but in my mind, wait, I go to class and then I hang out on the, on the coast? How cool would that be? That was also, mm, no. So there were several schools that I was accepted to. I couldn't apply to every school that I thought of because every school charges you a fee for applying. And as you know, we didn't have two nickels to rub together when I was growing up. So I had to make some selective choices. I did pick Texas. I did pick Florida. And I also wound up picking a school in Ohio, Bowling Green State University. The reason that I picked Tampa and the University of Texas 
and Bowling Green is because at the time that I was looking at schools, I wanted to get into journalism. And each of those schools had a good journalism program. So those three schools were my top choices for journalism. They all had great journalism schools, and I wanted to learn to be a journalist, a writer. I wanted to be a reporter. I wanted to write. I wanted to do all that stuff that was investigative journalism and writing in-depth articles and just being one of those guys working in the newsroom, coming up with the big story. That was the dream. That was the plan. That was what I anticipated in my head. So Bowling Green was one of the schools that I applied to because it had a good journalism school. And I was accepted there, and and Bowling Green is only about a day's drive from New Jersey, which is where I was living at the time. So I got accepted, and they had an orientation day, and um, my dad had a business trip planned, and instead of flying out to Detroit, which is where his business was, he said, well, why don't we drive out, and I'll drive out for your orientation, and, and then we can do the orientation. I'll do my business, you do your orientation, and we'll do two birds with one stone. And that's what we did. We also had options to go to orientation at Tampa and in Arlington. We never did those. I'm pretty sure my dad could have arranged business trips down there or taken a trip down there. But again, I was being guided subtly and not necessarily with my knowledge, but we were being guided in a direction. And that's how I wound up going to orientation at Bowling Green. Now, don't get me wrong. I loved Bowling Green. I wound up going there and I loved Bowling Green. Orientation was a little rocky for me because I was still the introverted fat kid from high school. So I was a little nervous going to a place, even though nobody knew me there. I still had this mentality that, oh, yeah, nobody's going to like me. I'm the fat kid. Nobody's going to talk to me. Everybody's going to know I'm just this lump of a human being. So I was a little nervous about going to orientation. But it's one of those things you have to do on your own. And I, I actually did. I made it through orientation. I met people. I went to mixers. I didn't do well at the mixers, but I went to them and uh, I got to see the lay of the land there. And it was really a kind of a cool university setting. I really enjoyed it, much to my surprise. (laughs) Being the introverted high school nerd that I was, I didn't expect that I would like it, but I did. And so thoughts of Florida and thoughts of Texas were put out of my head and I wound up going to Bowling Green in Ohio. Now, there's so much to talk about when you're talking about your first trip away from home and you're living on your own at a university for the first time. And me being the sheltered child and never being far from my parents, it was really a strange experience for me because the longest I'd ever been away from home was a week. And that was when I was 11. And then again, when I was 13, when I visited my aunt for a week. But I was living with family. I was not on my own. It was all familiar things. So I'd never been to a a, a sleepaway camp. So now I was going away to Ohio to live by myself with a roommate who I didn't know for the very first time. So yeah, I was a little nervous about the whole prospect. Combine that with the fact that I found out that the dorm that I was assigned to housed the international students. And one of my roommates was going to be an international exchange student, which freaked me out a little bit because, oh my God, what if he doesn't speak English? Oh, wow, this is going to be so strange. A a, a person from another country. I was very sheltered. This was totally new to me. The whole concept of living with another human being was totally new to me. Now the prospect was living with somebody from another country who might not even speak the language. Oh my God, I was, my world was in turmoil. And I still remember his name. I remember his name, but I don't remember him because as it turns out, he never showed up. So I spent weeks worrying about meeting Brummel Castellani. 
That was his name. I remember it to this day. It's weird the things that your mind holds on to, but I remember that I was supposed to room with Brummel Castellani, and Brummel never showed up. I got to the dorm by myself. It wasn't like you see in the movies, at least for me. We've all seen the TV shows. We've all seen the movies where the family packs up the family car and a footlocker of this and a suitcase of that. And everybody piles in the car and drives the prospective college student away to school, sets up their dorm room, puts pictures on the wall, makes sure everything's set, goes to the bookstore. That wasn't my life. That's not what happened with me for a variety of reasons. I don't know all of them, but I do know I had a younger brother and sister who had to start school. I know my dad had work. I know my mom had to take care of my brother and sister. And I think they also wanted me to do things on my own. So I was loaded up in my car at the top of my driveway in New Jersey. I had my two suitcases, my couple of boxes of stuff, my couple of posters I was going to put on the wall. They patted me on the head and said, ta-ta, have a nice life. Okay, it wasn't quite like that, but they did wave to me from the top of the driveway, and that was it. I was on my own. Ten-hour drive due west. Good luck, kid. I had my tape deck, my case full of cassettes that I could listen to across the country. I had a map. I knew what hotels I was going to stop at if I needed to, and I was on my way. And that's what I did. I drove, and I actually stopped the first day. I drove halfway, actually a little more than halfway. I decided I was going to clear Pennsylvania which is a long drive. Pennsylvania, now it's not like the rest of the country. South Dakota, Nebraska, Montana, those are huge states. But for me, New Jersey is a little tiny state, and you can get across the state even in rush hour traffic, as I've talked about in other episodes. It only takes you maybe four to five hours to clear the state with really bad traffic. With no traffic, you can do it in less than three. Pennsylvania is 300 plus miles from east to west, and that's that's a long drive. So I knew it was going to take at least six hours at 50 miles an hour to clear Pennsylvania. So I planned on doing Pennsylvania and stopping right across the state line in Ohio. And that's what I did. Then I got up the next morning, finished the trip to Bowling Green with my map of directions. Remember, this is before GPS. So I didn't have, (laughs) I didn't have Alexa telling me how to go. I didn't have Siri giving me directions. I had everything printed out on one of those triptychs you used to get from AAA. They would spell out the directions for you, which turn, which exit, how to get here, how to get there. And so I was trying to read my little exit ramp instructions as I was driving along Route 80 slash 90 in Ohio. And then I had to follow certain roads to get to Bowling Green. And I remember driving into Bowling Green, and it was a typical college town on move-in day. And, just like in the movies, there were families there with suitcases and footlockers and boxes of stuff, and parents escorting their kids up to their dorm rooms, and little brothers and sisters running around and helping everybody move in. And then there was me, on my own... (laughs) with a couple of suitcases and a couple of boxes, and that's all there was. So I found my way to my dorm. I do remember taking the elevator up to the fourth floor, trying to orient myself, found room 431. It's funny the things you remember, isn't it? And taped to the door were the names Gamer Dude. Really, it was Gamer Dude. And Brummel Castellani. And I said, well, this must be the place. And I used the key that I'd gotten at the check-in downstairs and a couple of beds, a couple of dressers, a couple of desks, a couple of closets. That's it. To call the room Stark is probably an understatement, but Stark covers it. So I moved my two suitcases in, went back down in the elevator, got my two boxes of stuff, 
ran back out, parked my car in the lot, and started the process of unpacking my belongings for the rest of the semester. Now, you have to remember, I'm the kid from New Jersey. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any family. I didn't have a little brother or a little sister running down the hall to meet other people. I didn't have a mom mingling with other moms. I didn't have a dad glad-handing another dad. It was me. And a shy me who didn't really want to go out in the hall and meet anybody, talk to anybody, I didn't have any social skills to speak of. So I sat in my room. I left the door open because I thought that would be a good way to see people and have people see me. And I sat there in my room for the afternoon and I watched families come and go up and down the hall. And that was my move-in experience. And I sat waiting with a little excitement and a little dread for Brummel to arrive. And Brummel didn't arrive on the first day, or the second day, or the third day. It was on the second day we had the floor meeting, and we met with the RA. RA is resident advisor, for those who don't know. That's the student who lives on the floor who's like the in-house guidance counselor. He's there to help you with difficulties, also to kind of be the policeman on the floor to make sure you're not, you know, tearing things out of the lounge and moving them into your room or smoking pot in your dorm room, which at the time you weren't supposed to do. In some universities you can now, but back in the day, mm -mm, nope, no good. So we had the floor meeting and I remember the RA saying, if you don't have a roommate, your roommate is probably late. And if you don't get the roommate by the end of the week, you'll probably have somebody move in from one of the overflow dorms because they always had the overflow dorms at Bowling Green. They always overbooked. It's kind of like a resort. They sold too many seats. So there was people packed five to a room in certain dorms. And when things settled down during the first couple of weeks, they would move people out of the overpacked dorms and into open spaces in the dormitories. So I was bound to get a roommate at some point, but as it turns out, it was never Brummel because days went by and Brummel didn't arrive. This was both a good thing and a bad thing for me because it was a good thing because I was able to adjust and get into a routine and get used to being in the dorm and in the environment, but it was a bad thing because I was there by myself. There was nobody to talk to. There was nobody to go to dinner with. There was nobody to go watch TV with. There was nobody to go across campus with. You were just on your own. And when you were so far away from home for the first time, that's a very difficult thing to deal with. I didn't realize at the time. I just thought it was, well, you know, it's life. But for some reason, I was on my own for a good three weeks before I finally got a roommate. And by that time, I was really savoring the privacy of my own room. I really liked it. So I was on the phone to my father. Dad, dad, can we pay the extra money and keep this as a single room? And of course, that wasn't in the budget. I'd taken loans out and everything was budgeted carefully. My meal plan, my room plan, my books, everything was budgeted. So there was no extra money to be able to afford a single room for me. No, we were going to get us a roommate one way or the other. Now, the odd thing is, I don't remember the name of the guy who took Brummel's place. I remember Brummel, even though I never met him, but I don't remember the roommate who came in to take his place that first year. Kind of weird, isn't it? But I did get a roommate for the rest of the year after that. But we never were really social. He had a girlfriend who lived in another dorm and he hung out with her. So he would come home at night, sleep there, and then I'd never see him. I'd never see him. We didn't do dinner. We didn't have any classes together. We didn't have anything in common. So I would just never see him. It was a really weird situation. But what I wound up doing and... Until I recorded this episode, I had totally forgotten that this is how I started meeting people. But what I wound up doing was 
Going to a garage sale, leave it to my dad's garage sale and auction stories to help me meet people in college. But I wound up going to a garage sale near the university and they were selling an old console TV. The problem that we had on our floor in the dorm is that the TV in the TV lounge was broken. So there was no TV for the first few weeks of the, of the semester. So I picked up an old console TV, a black and white TV. That's how old it was. Uh, and I got it for 20 bucks. And I lugged it out, put it in the front seat of my Volkswagen Bug, hauled it up to the dorm, hauled it up to the fourth floor, put it between the two beds in my dorm room. This is before Brummel and before the new roommate. And uh, I would sit in my dorm room with the TV on after dinner and people passing by who wanted to watch TV would stop by and watch whatever I had on. And we did that for the first couple of weeks. And I had, a, you know, not a full crowd in there, but I had a few people stop by and watch TV with me. Then when they finally fixed the TV in the TV lounge, we would take our TV meetings from my room into the much bigger TV lounge. And that's how I started meeting people. And I remember meeting folks because we bonded over syndicated shows like MASH and All in the Family and Mary Tyler Moore. These are the shows that were running at the time. And they were always on right after dinner, 7, 7.30. And so we'd sit there and we'd watch the old sitcoms and we'd laugh and comment and we'd joke about it. And that's how I slowly transitioned out of my little self-imposed shell into meeting people that I was going to school with. Now, I started this podcast talking about the choices that you make and how it's about choices in your education and the things that you do in your life. And there were a lot of choices I made in college. One of the choices was to go socialize, but it's something that I had to force myself to do. And I learned to socialize and I learned to make friends in college. And I'll get to that in a little more detail, I think, in another episode of the podcast, because what I really wanted to talk about was the choices I made in education. As I said early on, uh, I went to school for journalism. I pictured myself as becoming a journalist. That was until I started taking journalism classes. And the, the way they were teaching journalism was they were teaching you how to write down to an audience. You have to write for dumb people, essentially, is the way they described it. And that's not my writing style. I've written a lot over the years, and I don't believe that people are generally dumb. I believe there are generally dumb people, but I think, by and large, people are pretty smart. And if you write for the smart people, they'll understand it. And the people who are interested will learn or make it a point to learn what you're writing about so they understand it as well. As I've gotten older, I've learned that's not necessarily the case, but that was my view at the time. So I was very disheartened at the writing styles that they were teaching in journalism. And so I was on my own. As I said, my parents let me go to school. They guided me down a path to where I was going to go, but they didn't tell me what I had to major in. So after the first year and a few courses in journalism, I decided journalism as a major wasn't for me. I liked what I was learning, but I didn't like the writing styles that they were teaching and the philosophies that they were teaching. So after a year, I made the decision to change my major. To make a very long story short, <laughs> it is a long story, but my roommate my second year uh, was a guy I met my first year, and we kind of got thrown together, but we knew each other because we both picked the same dorm. Turns out he was an accounting major, and uh, I decided I would become an accounting major. That way I could work with my roommate, and we could learn together and support each other and get through accounting together. 
That was a bad decision on my part because I hated accounting. (laughs) Not only did I hate it, I didn't understand it. I mean, I can do math. I can add things. I can balance a checkbook. I'm, I'm good with that. But all of the details of accounting... Now, my roommate, he became a CPA after we graduated. So he was heavy into accounting. He had his whole career planned out from his freshman year. And I admire that in the guy. But for me, the accounting was way over my head. I just didn't get it. I didn't get the phraseology. I didn't get, I didn't get the ins and outs. I can't even throw a phrase out at you about accounting because I didn't get it. We both had the same accounting class. I sat for the first test. I failed the first test by nine points. So I went over the test after I got it back. And I found, oh, wait, the teacher, ironically enough, made a math error. When he was grading my paper, I think it was probably because my paper was so bad that he was just shocked that anybody could be so wrong on so many things. But he made a math error to the tune of nine points. Now, a passing grade was 60 on that particular test. I got a 51. Yes, I do remember the numbers. That's how traumatic it was because I wasn't used to getting such low grades. So I took my paper and my accounting book in and I sat down with the teacher and I said, look, you made a mistake here. I need these nine points. I need the passing grade. And he looked at the math and he looked at the book and he looked at my answer and he agreed with me. He said, you're right. He gave me my nine points, which got me to 60%. Then I went to the registrar's office and dropped the class. Because at Bowling Green, you could withdraw up to seven weeks into the semester with a passing grade and it would not affect your grade point average. So I had negotiated my way into a passing grade and then withdrew passing so that my GPA wouldn't be affected by the miserable performance I did in accounting. That's where I learned to negotiate, because I really needed to get out of that class. I really did. I was desperate to get out. I also changed my major that day to general business, because there was no way I was going to be an accounting major. No way. So I am halfway through my sophomore year, and I've had three majors. Journalism, business, and accounting. But I finished that second year as a general business major, and I spent the summer trying to figure out, well, I'm not a businessman. I don't want to get into business. I don't like accounting. I didn't like journalism. So then I had the bright idea, you know, I'd like to be a teacher. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me where that came from. I didn't go to school to become a teacher. But for whatever reason, that summer, the idea of becoming a teacher struck a fancy with me, made sense to me. I don't know why. So I got to school for the beginning of my junior year, which is when you have to declare a major and really stick to it this time. And I declared myself an education major. So I started taking education classes, how to be a teacher, how to teach math, how to teach science, how to teach music, how to teach art. I took a whole slew of classes geared towards becoming a teacher, which I probably should have taken two years before because that's when most people take them. So I was a junior in classes with freshmen and sophomores, which didn't bother me because I I didn't care and nobody really cares at that point. But I was trying to learn to become a teacher. And as it turns out, me being bullheaded, I didn't like the classes that much. I didn't like the philosophies. I didn't like the style of teaching. I didn't like anything about learning to become a teacher. Now, I could still see myself as a teacher as an aside, And as a matter of fact, I wouldn't mind becoming a teacher. But boy, the education process to becoming a teacher, I was not, I was not on board with it. I just didn't see it for myself. So now I've spent the first quarter of my junior year 
learning that I didn't want to be a teacher either. So there's four majors that I've been through in three years, and I'm still not happy. So at this point, I'm ready to throw up my hands and go, you know, maybe college isn't for me. Maybe I should have become a postman. Maybe I should have become a welder. Maybe I should have been sweeping floors at the shop back in, back in my hometown. So what I wound up doing is setting up a meeting with the elusive guidance counselor. And we went over my transcript. And we went over all of the hours of classes I had taken over the course of two and a half years at this point. Because I still wanted to graduate. I mean, I'd put in two and a half years. <laughs> it it kind of made sense to get something out of all this time. And as it turned out, with all of the hours that I'd put in, if I kept going on a course of take a little bit of this and a little bit of that from a variety of schools and colleges, I would be able to graduate on time with a Bachelor of Liberal Studies degree, essentially a liberal arts degree. So I changed registrations. I moved over to the College of Arts and Sciences, and I was then free to take pretty much anything else that I hadn't filled up as far as electives are concerned. I had to take some creative writing. I had to take some history. But I was able to fill in these blanks in this canvas of liberal arts education so that I was able to fill out the last year and a half with a variety of classes that I actually enjoyed. I took the Bible as literature. I took the psychology of human sexuality. I took a gym class, which I never thought I would take again, but I took a gym class in basketball, which counted towards a liberal arts degree. And I pieced all of these things together and created essentially my own degree, a Bachelor of Liberal Studies degree, which I graduated with after four years plus a summer quarter. I needed one more class, and I didn't have enough room for it in all of the hours that I took, so I hadn't actually graduate in August of my graduation year because I needed that extra class. So I was almost on time, but I got a Bachelor of Liberal Studies degree after changing majors five times. Now, what's the point of all that? Well, partly to share the story with you, but also partly to show you, to explain to you, to tell you that we are not locked into the choices that we make. We're always free to change paths. We can always change our minds, make a different choice, change direction, no matter how old or how young. That experience taught me that I wasn't locked in to any one pathway. It taught me that I did have the ability to make different choices for whatever reason or for no reason at all. And quite honestly, from that day forward, I've always lived my life that way. I've made choices that are good for me. I've never made choices that are the expectations of other people. I've made choices that are good for me. And my life has been much happier that way. Now, of course, I've had to make choices where I can find a job and feed my family and put a roof over my head and put wheels under me so I can get to work. We all have to make those choices. But how we get there, the path we follow to get there, that's all up to us. And what we do in our free time, that's all up to us. And how we entertain ourselves, that's all up to us. We don't have to do things because we're 30 years old or 40 years old or 50 years old or 120 years old. I hope to God that when I'm 120 years old, I'm still doing this podcast and still streaming on Twitch. That's what I hope. That's what my plan is. What's the philosophy that Jimmy Buffett espouses? Grow older, not up. And that kind of forms the background for the choices that I've made in my life. I don't believe that any of us have to be locked into choices 
that we've made early on or that we make today. We're free to change our minds and do things that make us happy. And if you take nothing else from this episode of the podcast, take that. Do things that make you happy. You can live with that philosophy, can't you? It's worked for me. Seems to be working to this day, so I'm going to continue to do that. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks again so much for listening. I really do appreciate the support you guys give me, the time you spend with me. I love sharing my stories with you. Thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, you take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.